Good morning. I'm going to be reading uh, Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is Boaz, is not Boaz our relative, with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barely barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down in the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning if he will redeem you. Good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay down at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor, and that he said, Bring the garment that you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her, all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley that he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. All right, good morning. Um, For those of you that uh, are new or visiting, first of all, my name is Tim, and I'm one of the deacons here at Believer's Church. And um, anytime that I get the opportunity to preach, it's a great honor, and uh, especially more uh, being asked to to preach here at my home church. And um, just want to share that with you, that I'm excited to be here, I'm excited that you're here, and I'm excited that we get to dig into the word. Um, also, if, if you're new or visiting, uh, we do expositional preaching. So we, we pick a book of the Bible and we just go through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, 
And so um, we are in Ruth chapter 3 today, and uh, we also do, we, we have Kids Connect on every other week, and so then the opposite weeks we have our kids here in the service with us. And it just so happens that kids ended up in here in a week where we got a little bit of a spicy text. <laughs> and so working, uh, first of all, I have to acknowledge that, again, we do, we do expositional preaching means that we believe in the sovereignty of God and that God puts out the passage when we need it and we move along in that way. And so the way that this turned out, I have to trust that this is the sovereignty of God, that this is the passage we are preaching this week as kids are in here. So my question to the kids, have any of you ever been told to go do something by your parents that you didn't want to do? All right. Uh, How about some examples? You got one? Uh huh. Mm. Mm. Yeah, having to get dressed when you want to stay in your jammies. I get that. Mm. Yeah, having to brush your teeth when you don't want to. Ben? <laughs> Going to bed. <laughs> Having to clean up? Okay. Um, does anyone think that there's any of those things that your parents have told you to do that you don't necessarily want to do that maybe there's a reason they tell you to do it, though? Yeah? Does anyone think? Like, just shout it out. Like, what? Like, if you said something, why do you think you have to do it? Like, Evie, why, why would they tell you to brush your teeth? Mm-hmm. So your teeth don't get cavities, so they don't rot and fall out. Oh, that's a good one too. Yeah, because God tells us to obey our parents. All right. So in this story, we, we have Ruth and Naomi, right? And Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law. It's not her mother, but it's her mother-in-law, and it's, it's the, the older woman that, that she respects and that she lives under at this time. And Naomi is going to go tell Ruth to go do some things that Ruth probably, at first, may not want to go do. And may think, this is kind of a weird request for you to ask me to go do, and I'm not sure how I feel about it. But what we see in the text is that Ruth goes and does it. She may have questioned her, but we don't have that written down. She may not have wanted to done it. She might have gone back and forth with her, but we don't have that written down. But what we do know is that Naomi asked her to go do something, and then Ruth went and did it, regardless of how she might have felt about the request. And so we know that, that Ruth trust Naomi. We know that she cares for Naomi. And we know that she, she's willing in this moment to accept that, that Naomi is from Judah. She understands the customs. She understands the people. And she's telling her to go do something 
And Ruth just has to trust that Naomi knows what she's talking about in this situation. So as we jump in here, it's always a little awkward when you, when you jump into preaching uh, a passage in like, like this one where we have four chapters and it's four different people doing it and you're kind of, when, when you have your little section of what part of this do I do, do I go back to any of the other, I have to go back into some of the other just because it's, it's to continue to explain everything, especially if you weren't here for the other two weeks. So first of all, Ruth takes place in the time of Judges. So Naomi and Ruth, they return to Israel in a time that, that is a spiritual and a physical famine, right? So we were, we were told earlier in, the, in Ruth 1 that there was famine in the land. And so because of that, they, they, um, Elimelech decides to move his family out of the country. And so there's a lot of, of layers in, in Ruth of, of like irony and language and things in there. There's, there's humor involved in it. And I think part of that is, is first seeing uh, Bethlehem, right? So this is, this is where they're from. This is where they move from. This is where they come back from. And so uh, I think there's a slide I made, I made the slides a little confusing, so he's got to jump over to another section. But uh, Bethlehem in, in Hebrew is basically two words, and it means uh, house and bread. And so Hebrews read the opposite of us, right? So it's, it's uh, right to left. So house and You'll pick this up uh, sometimes in, in other parts of the Bible, like Bethel. So Bethel is the house of El, the house of God. And so Bethlehem is the house of bread. So we have, there's drought in, in Judah, Naomi and Elimelech. And again, Elimelech, name is Elimelech, God is king. And so the man whose name is God is king decides to leave the protection and blessing of God's land and move to Moab. They have two sons who are sickness and consumption. <laughs> so, you know, God is king already in one generation to sickness and consumption. They marry Moabite women. And then, so then the, the husband dies, the sons die. Naomi loses everything. And so Naomi returns back to the house of bread. Even though they left Judah because of famine, it's clear that she's returning to the house of bread because we see from the story, right, they're right in the middle of the harvest. So famine has passed. They're harvesting barley. They're making bread. And so, um, again, this is in the time of Judges, so there was both a physical and a spiritual famine. As we've already mentioned before, in Judges 21.15, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So we have spiritual famine as well. And this is because the people are not following God. They're not following Yahweh, and he has removed his blessing, which is the rain, from them in a time of testing. So again, this, this entire scene is just dripping with irony. This is the land that's flowing with milk and honey, but there's famine in the land. This is the house of bread, but there's no bread for sustenance. This is God is king, but he leaves the promised land and he, and he leaves God's protection and he goes to Moab, 
right? Moab, these are the descendants of Lot's incestuous offspring after fleeing from Sodom and Gomorrah. So he's going from the promised land to the obviously not promised land. This is the man whose name is God is king and he abandons the king and he moves out of the king's land and he searches for bread and the place that's known specifically for not offering bread to Israelites. As it says in Deuteronomy 23, an Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, of Pethor, of Mesopotamia to curse you. So again, we have Naomi, whose name means pleasant and gentle, She then says to call her Mara or bitterness. She returns to the house of bread. She finds that it is a house of bread. They are in the middle of the grain harvest. Yahweh has cared for and blessed the people who have remained in the land. All right, so now chapter three. Naomi says to Ruth, let's find you rest or security. So women, especially single women, with no husbands or fathers are very vulnerable in this situation, right? They could not own land. They had little protection. A widowed woman with no male heirs, especially in in Moab, right? She's presented with the options of begging or selling herself into slavery or prostitution are pretty much her options there. And so... That's probably going to make us bristle a little bit, right? Like, why, why are women put into such a vulnerable place? And, and didn't God care about them? And like we saw last week with, with Sean's sermon, that, that God did care about them. He cared about them greatly. And so he set up provisions for them in Israel. Right? He put in policies to make sure that, that those that are less fortunate are cared for with provisions like the, the gleaning laws. So in Moab, they would have had even less protection without the provision of the gleaning laws, without the provision of a kinsman redeemer. They would have been in a, a terrible, terrible place. So in Israel, they're, they're not in a, in a great place right now. Um, they can't own land. They have no male heir to take care of them. And so they're, they're still seeking out and trying to find something. So now... Um, all right, so we have, uh, sorry, I can't read that far away. <laughs> Let me look this way. All right, so then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? So we see Boaz, and she says, is he not our, our relative? Is he not our kinsman? So I'm going to talk a little briefly here about this idea of the, the kinsman redeemer or the, the goel. So the redeemer had these tasks, and I think there might be a slide with that. All right, here, I'll just stop here first. All right, so let's set the scene before we jump into that, since we got the pictures. So this, this, is, this scene takes place um, at the threshing floor, and so I just tried to find some pictures to to show a little bit of what that looked like. So here's, um, here's an idea of a threshing floor. So there's different kinds, kind of depending on when it is and where it is. This is one where 
they, they pile it all up and they've got the, the horse and they've got the sledge behind it and it's got some little spikes on it. And so they're riding around and they're breaking the grain free. Um, the one right back before it, they had the, the stalks and they're just taking the stalks and smashing those and breaking the grain free from there, right? So one of these is a lot more manpower. The others, you've got a little horsepower to help you with it. And then I think there's a third picture there, right? And so here's, here's a picture of a threshing floor. And so this gives you kind of an idea of generally this is a, a flat spot. It might be kind of like on the top of a, of a hill somewhere where you've got some natural wind blowing through here because the idea is we've got to separate the, the grain from the chaff. And so we need some wind flowing through, uh, but we also need a flat spot so that once we separate it, the grain's not rolling down getting away either. So, now, do we have the other slide? Do you see it? Is there one about the, the kinsman redeemer and his tasks? I put it in different this week, so he may not be able to find it. But the kinsman redeemer had these tasks. Tasks. He could redeem the property of an impoverished Israelite. We see that in Leviticus 25.25. Right? He could redeem his impoverished brother who had to sell him sl- himself into slavery. And he had to execute judgment over a murderer. And then, and to receive the restitution if the injured relative had died. So these are some things that are, are placed on this person. And uh, we'll see that a little bit. Now, there's, there's one other thing that Naomi kind of ties in here that doesn't necessarily apply to the kinsman redeemer, it's, it's more the, the Leverite marriage, which is to marry his brother's widow in order to have a son for his brother in the case that the brother had no son to pass on his name. So again, we're, we're in a situation where men were the ones that were able to own land. And so if, if, if you were a woman, you're married to a man, your husband dies, you're stuck. You can't inherit his land unless you have a son and that son is able to take on his name and he's able to, to carry on the family name and to own the land. And so that's why we have this, this Leverite marriage here where it can, your husband's brother can then marry you and then you can bear a son from him and then that, he's gonna take over your, your dead husband's name and his estate. And so Naomi creates the plan here. So Naomi, Her mother-in-law said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, then it may be well with you, as not Boaz, a relative with whose young women you were. So the first thing that we notice here is in the last chapter, Naomi and Ruth are not passive, right? They don't sit around waiting for this distant relative to come seek them out and notice them and offer help. Naomi knows how the social safety network works here, and she knows that there is an option for, for them. But she also knows if, if they're not proactive, things aren't just going to fall in place for them. And so next we notice how Naomi ratchets this plan up to 11. And so she says, See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies and then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, I will do all that you say I will do. So 
<clears throat> again, in, in the ancient mind, this is a salacious scene that's presented here, right? Naomi is telling a single Moabite woman to go down and find this man after he has eaten and drank and fallen asleep, and then go and uncover his feet and go lie down with him. So there's a, a lot of different interpretations of this and different commentaries. Was Boaz alone on the threshing floor? Were there other men there? Is that why she had to observe where he was laying so that she didn't go and lay down at the feet of somebody else on accident? Does feet mean feet? Or does it refer to something more? Uh, which sounds ridiculous, but we'll touch on that a little bit. Uh, what does it mean to lie at someone's feet? Is this an invitation to marry them? Is this something a servant would do? Did she lay perpendicular to his feet with her head on his feet? Also note here that Naomi tells her to wash and perfume herself and put on her best clothes, which sounds like she's trying to go down and seduce him. So now I think, yeah, she, she likely does want her to present herself as best as she can to Boaz, right? She's been working and gleaning the fields and sweaty and dirty, and yeah, you probably don't want to go lay at his feet like that, right? Um, but more so here, I think it's likely that, that Naomi is telling Ruth to go and show that, that she's no longer in mourning of her dead husband, right? So there's, there's, uh, she, she's signaling that she's back on the market, right? It was, it was a regular practice in this time when someone dies in your mourning, right? You, you, put a, you put ashes on, you wear sackcloth, you show that you're, you're mourning the loss of someone. And so she's saying like, at this point, I want you to go and wash, clean up your face, clean up your body, put on some oil, put on some nice clothes, and this is going to show my time of mourning has passed. And, and then that means that you're, you're ready to find another husband. So she went down to the threshing floor and she did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lay down at the end of the heap of grain. And then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Again, I think things are a little ambiguous here. Um, it's certainly presenting a scene that the original audience is going to find very uncomfortable. Uncovered and feet and lie down, like all three of these words are, are charged, loaded words, right? They're, they're not normally, it's not normally appropriate for an unmarried woman to go find a man sleeping and uncover any part of him. And um, especially in, in, in this situation, right? So one of my other questions is, what, why is Boaz sleeping on a pile of grain, you know, like a dragon over his treasure? <laughs> like, Boaz is rich. Doesn't he have a home to go lay down in? Like, and so I, I think what, what's happening here is, right, Boaz is a farmer. There has been famine. God has blessed them. They've grown the grain. He's down there. He's threshing the grain. And then, like, he doesn't want to go home, and then someone steals the whole year's worth of harvest, right? And so he's, 
he's he's the head of the of the farm. He's the head of the the household. The the, the whole, you know he has servants. He has all these people that he cares for. And so Boaz takes that responsibility seriously. And and Boaz is saying like I'm the boss. I'm going to be the one that stays here all night. I'm going to protect this. Not just because you know. He, he doesn't want to lose any money, but because he knows he has all these people that he's responsible for, that he cares for, and if someone comes in and steals the grain, like, he has not protected the people that he's supposed to protect. And so Boaz, from the get-go, is he's being a protector. He's taking care of people, and that's why he's staying here overnight. So again, we're, we're in... Uh, we're, we're, we're in a steamy scene, Right? It says that, that Ruth is supposed to stay over to the side and watch, right? So it's, you know, I imagine it's, it's uh, late into the evening. The sun is setting. Boaz is out there, and he's, he's sweaty, and he's just tossing the grain up in the air, and the grain's falling, and the, the, uh, the chaff is floating around and blowing away and just working up a sweat and working hard, and finally decides he's done enough and he sits down and you know he I don't know what he's eating it doesn't say what he's eating but I imagine uh, you know he's, he's cooking up a little bit of, of meat he's drinking some wine he's had a hard day he's it says after this he's he's merry right like he has enjoyed his hard day he's enjoyed his rest and now he's just gonna lay down and sleep on a pile of grain looking up at the stars out in the open and just you know fall asleep exhausted after all this hard work and the whole time Ruth's over here just just <laughs> peeking and watching watching close because there may have been some other guys there and she's making sure she knows exactly where he laid down and then after this ends um, she comes down, and uh, again, feet is kind of ambiguous here, right? Uh, there are some euphemisms in Hebrew in the Old Testament that apply feet to other things. There's a story in in First uh, Samuel, right, where where Saul goes in into the cave, and David's hiding behind him, and Saul uncovers his feet, which means Saul or Saul covers his feet, where. It means that he, he takes off his cloak and it drops down and covers his feet so he can go to the bathroom. And so there are times that there's, you know, it could mean some other things. Uh, to, we, we know, obviously, to lie clearly is used many times in the Bible to refer more to just laying down next to somebody. And uh, so now we're, we're, we're wondering exactly what happens here. It says, at midnight, the man was startled, and he turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So a couple things to note here. First, Boaz's response is, who are you? Right? It doesn't tell us exactly how he says it. Uh, I think that seems like a pretty natural response. Again, he's been working. He's staying out there to make sure no one steals anything. And he's gone to sleep. He feels great. And he wakes up because his feet are chilly. Right? I don't know about you, but like, if, if covers come off my feet, like I'm going to wake up, my feet are cold. And so he went to sleep with them covered. They're not covered now. He wakes up. And when he wakes up, he looks down. 
and there's a woman there, right? Uh, I know as a parent, I've woken up many times and there's just a kid right there, just staring me in the face and my response is, what are you doing? What is going on? And so I think, I also think uh, Ruth's not asleep, right? Ruth comes out and lays down and she is just waiting for him to wake up, right? I don't, know, I don't know if she just lays there, maybe she tickles his feet a little. It's like she wants him to wake up because she is so scared about what's going to happen and if this is going to work out. So, uh, yeah, but if I woke up and someone was laying at my feet, especially if it's not my children, I want to know who this person is and why they're sleeping at my feet. So next, Ruth says, it is Ruth, your servant, right? She's been working with his servants in the field, uh, but she hasn't really been his servant. Um, she's essentially presenting herself as a servant to him. But then she asks him to spread his wings over her as a goel. And so you'll notice, uh, depending on which, which version you're reading from, that, that there are some variants in what they say. Is, uh, is that slide in there, bud? There should be one here. I've got, I've got some different, all right here. So you'll see in, in different versions, there's some different things it says here, right? So we have the NASB says, so spread your, your covering over your maid. The LSB says, so spread your wing over your maidservant. The uh, CSB says, take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. The NRSB says, spread your cloak over your servant. And the NLT says, spread the corner of your covering over me. And then the ESV again says, spread your wings. So what is it, right? Is it a cloak? Is it wings? Is it the corner of a cloak? Well, I think, uh, yes, that's what it is, right? So this is, this is a wing. It, um, first of all, just the, the word, there's a word here that can mean different things, right? It can mean a wing. It can mean the corner of your clothing. And we have this in English, right? Like there are, there are words that can mean different things in different settings. Like uh, if, you, if you have a, an animal that has a growth on its head, right? We call that a horn, right? And if you're uh, playing a trumpet, right? That might be called a, a horn. Uh, if you're in your car and you hit the thing that makes the noise, it's a horn, right? All these things are all horns, even though they're different things, even though we know why they're connected, because they would take a ram's horn and they'd blow through that. And, but today, a car horn has nothing to do with a ram's horn, right? So again, we've, we've, got, we've got a word that's used in different settings to mean different things. In some places, this is, um, this is the, the wing of an animal. You know, think about the, the cherubim or the seraphim who use their wings to cover themselves in, in God's presence. And so just like how they cover themselves with their wings, a cloak, the edges of a cloak can also be called a wing here. And I, I think it's, it's also, it's, it's Ruth using the language purposefully for this double meaning, right? She's saying right now, spread your cloak over me, like I'm cold, spread your, your garment over me. But she's also saying like, take me under your wing of protection. She's purposefully using this word that has two meanings to, to say something beautiful here. And uh, as she's telling him to spread his garment over it, like this, this request is, is, is risky behavior for Ruth, right? Um, because essentially she's, she's asking Boaz to marry her. She's saying, take me under your wing of protection. 
marry me. And so for a woman in this culture to go and ask a man to marry her, like this is, is like a great faux pas. Lastly, she calls him out as the family redeemer, as the Goel. She's, she's not only making a request of him, she's calling him uh, to action in accordance to his, his family responsibility. And again, we, we said we already know that this is a man who takes his responsibility very seriously. And so how does he respond? He says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made the last kindness greater than the first that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Now it is true that I am a redeemer, but there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. My first question in this is, is what is that kindness? Um, is, is he saying, like, he's an old dude and he's glad that an attractive young woman wants him and, and he's glad that she went for him rather than the other young men around? And at the first reading, that, that's kind of what it sounds like. But I, I don't think that's what's happening here. I think he is recognizing that Ruth seeking out Boaz as a family redeemer means that Ruth is putting Naomi first, right? She could likely go find a husband elsewhere, but by marrying a family redeemer, then Boaz can purchase Elimelech's former land that he sold before leaving for Moab. And in doing so, he can, he can care for Ruth and he can care for Naomi. Naomi has no reason... Um, no, Ruth has no reason that she had to come back to Bethlehem, right? Which, which is why Orpha doesn't come back, or not back, but in the first place. So the, the only reason that, that Ruth comes back is because of her great love for Naomi, because she wants to care for Naomi, and in doing so, she is able to seek out that family redeemer, and then that person is able to care for both of them, Rather, if, you know, if, if she stayed in Moab, she could have found a husband, but then that wouldn't have helped Naomi any. And so I think that he's saying that, that even though she could have been like Orpha and she could have stayed, or even coming to Israel, she could have found a different husband rather than seeking out a family redeemer. I think Boaz is saying he is impressed. He is impressed with Ruth that she cares so much for Naomi that she would do this. And again, while, while this scene is a bit salacious, we see that both Ruth and Boaz are people of great character. And so because of that, I, I don't think there's really any real reason to think anything inappropriate happened there on the threshing floor. Boaz tells her not to fear. He says he, that she has become known as a worthy woman. Also, Boaz is so upright, even though he clearly wants to redeem Ruth, he acknowledges that there's a man with a closer claim than he has, and that he first he needs to go and speak to that man. He needs to make sure if, if he wants to do it first, then he'll back off. And he's going to make sure that things are done correctly. And Boaz shows his protection towards Ruth by telling her to go ahead and lay down until morning so as to not send her out into darkness alone and unprotected 
And so I think over and over, both of them are showing their character. They're showing that they're, they're people of great character. And because of that, I, I don't think anything inappropriate happened there. So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman that came to, that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment that you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and he put it on her. And then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So again, Ruth, or Boaz, cares about Ruth. He cares about her character. He cares about her reputation in the community. He likely had her stay until until dawn so that she was safe there, that she didn't go out and, and get robbed or attacked or something at night. But now, right as the sun is coming up, he's telling her, now I want you to leave. It's safe enough. It's bright enough that you can see, you can make it home. But it's also not bright enough that people can tell who you are. So this is the time. Go home. I'm keeping you safe, but I'm also safeguarding your, your reputation in the community. So he cares about her character. He cares about her physical well-being. He cares about her safety. He cares about Naomi, right? So he sends her with the six measures of barley. This, this not only cares for her and Naomi's sustenance until things are solved, but I think it also probably gives her some cover if someone does see her as she's walking home and is like, what are you doing now? It, you know, right as the sun's coming out, walking away, and she's got, she's got the bar, oh, my mother-in-law sent me down here, and Boaz gave me this barley so that we could, uh, you know, we could eat, and because we don't have husbands, and I don't know. I might, be, I might be reaching for that one, but that's what I feel like is happening here. He's not only caring for her and Naomi, but he's, he's given her some cover as well. And so we end on a bit of a cliffhanger here, right? In chapter 3, we get a glimpse of how Ruth might feel. What's the other guy going to say? What's going to happen? We don't know. You have to come back next week. <laughs> so Naomi cares for her here, and, he tell, and tells Boaz, will not sit on the matter. He will make sure it is solved before the end of the day. So in wrapping up the chapter here, there's a couple of things that stand out for me. First was just thinking this week about how um, th this week began the season of Lent. And so this is generally a season of, of preparation for Easter, of sacrifice and looking forward to our ultimate Redeemer in Christ. And like Naomi and Ruth had the hardship of famine and loss of their husbands and moving to a different country, and the waiting of God to unfold everything for them to be redeemed. Like we have an opportunity for, for a time of preparation and waiting for our Redeemer. Uh, the next thing here that's a, a little bit interesting is just looking at the way that the, the Hebrew Bible is generally laid out with its books compared to the way that, that we as Christians have with our Old Testament. So we place Ruth between judges and kings because chronologically... That's where it occurs. And so we're saying it's the time of Judges, so we put Ruth there so that we can kind of read the Bible and, and some type of chronology. 
Um, but the, in, in the Hebrew Bible, it's generally broken up into, into three parts, and those three parts are mostly concerned with the style of writing rather than the chronology of the writing. And so the way that it often ends up is that they have Proverbs, and then they have Ruth, and then they have the Song of Solomon, right? So it, it's the book of Proverbs famously ends with Proverbs 31, which is this, you know, the story of, of uh, who can find a wife of noble character. And you read that, and then you go, I don't know, who can? And then you immediately read Ruth, and you go, apparently Boaz can, <laughs> right? And so we have this story of, of this um, of this, the woman of noble character. And Ruth is a great example of this hardworking and trustworthy. She's dedicated to family. She's a woman of noble character. So if you're an ancient Israelite and you're reading through this and you get to Proverbs 31, and then immediately you get to this real life example of here's, here's somebody that does it, right? And it's a beautiful example of um, that, that Ruth also shows um, Ruth shows some of the hardship, right? So Proverbs 31 is, is, is great, and it shows this. But any, any married person here knows that, that marriage is hard, too, right? It's not, it's not just this, this uh, beautiful, flashy thing that's exciting, but it's also a thing that's just it's, it's filled with hard times. And so Ruth is someone that, that went through hardship, right? She's... Um, Ruth is in her second marriage. Her husband died. Her father-in-law, her brother-in-law died. She had to move. She had to work the fields like a peasant. She had to rely on others. She had to be brave. And she had to make moves in the story herself. And so she had to trust in God through the hard times. It also shows the way that she doesn't share in the story of the Proverbs 31 woman, right? Because that that woman is... um, She's rich and she has servants and she goes and she buys a field and Ruth can't do those things. Like she doesn't own the field. She doesn't have the servant. She is the servant. She's the person working the field that someone else owns. She doesn't have the expensive clothes that the woman in Proverbs 31 has. And yet God still loves her and God still cares for her and he still protects her and Boaz still takes her under his wing. And so an example of Boaz and Ruth, again, we see people that are of virtuous character, people who serve others, who care for others deeply. They're there for those who are less fortunate. They care about the physical and the emotional needs of others. They care about their extended family. They care about protecting others' reputation in the community. And lastly, we remember how Ruth and Naomi returned from Moab Again, the place which did not offer the Israelites bread, and they came back to Bethlehem, the house of bread. They returned to God's blessing and provision of the barley harvest. When Ruth is, um, when Ruth is unsure of what will happen to her, Boaz overflows her dress with the provisions of barley. And so we end thinking about how we are the body of Christ, right? And we, um, we as the body of Christ are looking forward to the marriage supper of, with Christ, who is our ultimate kinsman redeemer. We gather weekly, we sing songs, we, we 
praise God, we pray together, we hear the word, and then we, we drink the cup, we eat the bread, remembering the ultimate sacrifice that he has made for us, how Christ is our true redeemer, and he gave his life for us, he paid the price for our sin, and we will join him one day as, as his bride forever. And so we, this, this the ultimate picture of Ruth is that Ruth isn't just a story of a woman who, who had to find that redeemer, who had to find the husband, but it's, it's, it's the story of all of us, that all of us together are the bride of Christ, the ultimate kinsman redeemer. And again, in doing that, we gather weekly, we break that bread together, we remember the sacrifice, we remember how he made that redemption, and we do it together as one body. And so, um, I don't know who's coming up. Sean's going to come up and talk about that just a little bit.